Hey, uh, good morning. Uh, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the, the lead pastor here. Really glad that you are worshiping with us. Like Mark said, we're finishing up a series uh, called All In. Before we get to that, I just want to give a special welcome to any college students that are here. Uh, we're trying to do a good job this year. Of, uh, we try to do this every year, just kind of loving and encouraging our college students. And so my wife and I would love to have you guys over for dinner. And we're going to try to do that this Thursday, and you may think, that sounds like a great idea, but I don't know where you live, so obviously, well, I don't know where you live either. I don't have your contact information to tell you where I live, but if you'd be interested in just kind of hanging out and getting a little bit better connected at the church, uh, if you can fill out one of those connection cards, go talk to people out at the connections desk. We would love to get to know you, figure out any way that we can serve and love the students that are part of our church. And as, um, as we're finishing up this, uh, this series... I've been, um, I've been asking a lot of questions and kind of interacting with people and just kind of thinking about um, what kind of church are we trying to be? Or maybe just even bigger picture, what is a church supposed to be? Like, what is the model? And I, and I interact with people, I talk to people about it, and one of the things that the, the common comparison that a lot of people make is they kind of compare church to school. Um, like, it's a place where you're supposed to go and learn. Which, I, I don't really like that metaphor. Some people compare a church to the dentist office, and that's terrible. And to me, school's the same way. I mean, I don't want it to be like a school, because I, I, I didn't like school so much. It's not a great environment for me. And, but here's the problem. Here's the problem with, um, with the school metaphor. The school metaphor is, is it's something that you graduate from, right? Once you've learned everything that school has to teach, you have to move on to a different school, or, heaven forbid, you have to go into life, but... Um, School is something that you move from, and you see people do this. You go to this church for a while, and then you feel like you've learned everything that church has to offer. You get a little bored, and then you go to this church, and you do that for a little while. You go to this church, you do that for a little while. And, and it is. It's like, it's like people are just kind of perpetually in school, going to a different school. But that's not, I mean, that's not a great metaphor. While it is a part of what we do, we, we are teaching you know, some people will use a hospital as a metaphor, and that's a, okay. And that is, a, that is part of what we want to be. We want to be a place where, where sick and hurting and, and broken people can, can find healing. But the thing about a hospital is, is you really only want to be there for a little while. I mean, it's not like you're wanting to, I want to spend the rest of my life in the hospital. Um, so that's, not, that's not good. Some people, um, some people use a family metaphor. And that's a really good one as far as, um, you know, the way that we want to interact with each other. We want to love people well. We want to, we want to connect. We want to have a kind of a family attitude with each other. All these metaphors fall short, you know, and, and sometimes I've tried to complicate them. You know, people talk about army. You know, as an army, we're on this mission. And I've tried. I've tried really overly complicated metaphors to explain to people before. It's like we're an aircraft carrier, Right? And so we're really close-knit because we're all living on this aircraft carrier and, we've, and there's, a hospital, there's a hospital part and, and we're training people, but we've also, we're all kind of supporting the planes that are going out and doing the missions. And maybe that's a great metaphor, but it's not like you have any connection with it at all. Oh, yeah. Now, now in the church I was at before, we were right next to the Air Force Base, and so I, I could really get a lot of mileage out of, out of that metaphor. But there's a lot of different pieces to what it is that God's called us to do. And one of the things that we have to make sure that we are very clear on, that this is not just simply a place 
where we're trying to learn stuff and be better. That is a huge part of it. We want you to come. We want you to learn about God. And we obviously want you to be better. I need to be better. I need to become a better man, a, a better husband, a better dad. I, I, need to, I need to grow in a lot of ways. But when we limit it to that, we, we limit what it is that God's really trying to do in and through us. And He has. He has given us a mission. He has given us a mission to reach this community. We need to be the kind of place that cares more right now about the people who are not in this room than the people who are in the room. And we need to be the kind of people who care more about the newest people in this room than the people who have been around the most. That is the kind of place that we need to be. And we need to have this kind of mission mentality that says that, man, I want to help the people who are the furthest from God and who are the least connected get connected with God and get connected here. We want to be out there in the world helping people find God and find life here. And not only that, we need to take this mission to the whole world. That is what God has called us to be. So in that sense, maybe we are a school or a hospital, but we're a teaching hospital. And, and we're, we're a preparatory school for a mission that God has called us to. God has called us individually and collectively as a group of people to make a difference in this world. If you walk in, the, you walk in every Sunday, sometimes you see it, sometimes you walk right past it, but it says on there, man, that God is calling us to reach people, to become fully devoted and world changers. That's what He has called us to. And that's who we need to be individually and collectively. We want to be fully devoted to God, And then we want to hear him through that devotion tell us how we can become and be world changers. That's what God has called us to. That's what a church is, and that's what this church is meant to be. But the only way that that's going to happen is if we individually decide that that's what I want to be. And in order to do that, tied back into the series, we have a decision to make. Am, am, am I all in? Am I completely in with God? Who is God in my life? Is God, and, and this is unfortunate for a lot of us, uh, is God kind of a, a, a counselor, an advisor, someone who kind of walks behind me and says, hey, I, I wouldn't go that way, or, or somebody who's like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to figure something out. What do you think I should do? Hey, can you? Ha- I'm going over here. Could you? Could you help me? Or is or is he God? And he's leading. He's directing your life. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference between a God that advises you in your life and a God that directs your life. And so, what we've talked about over the last few weeks, we talked a little bit about motivation. Why you should want to be all in. Because if we're going to try to figure out what life is really about, the best place to go is the the one who created life, the architect of the whole system, the creator of you, and and devotion to a God that is all-powerful and all-loving. That's where life is. And even though it may feel risky, we've talked about this, it may feel risky, but being connected to that all-powerful, all-loving God is really no risk. But last week we kind of you know, toned it down just a little bit and said, man, just because that's where life is and it's not risky doesn't mean it's not going to be hard sometimes, because it is. 
And you put all that together and we kind of end up at this last moment with kind of one last idea to kind of help us in this journey to decide if we're going to say and be, like, I am completely in. I want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And this last little piece is this, is that we need to understand God requires this of us. Now, we're a pretty chill church, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of chill, you know. We dress real casual, we talk real casual, usually interject a little bit of humor into what we do. We're, we're, we're real kind of, hey man, bro, you know, kind of real, you know, real casual, real nice. We're not, we're not yelling a whole lot. Not, not angry yelling, I may just get crazy about something every now and then. Not, not angry yelling, rarely, rarely angry yelling, rarely, right? In fact, I, I love the church, I love how to dress casual. Actually, this, can I just say something that's kind of off topic? Can I say this has like been one of my favorite series ever? You know why? Because I, 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 I get to wear a t-shirt every week, and you're not even a little judgy about it because it's like with the thing, right? It's an all-in. It's like with the series. I get why he's doing it. So that's why next spring well, we're going to do a series called Athletic Shorts. And um, it's going to be real good. I have no idea what the topic's going to be about, but it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Hey, but even though, you know, we're friendly and, and warm and we, we want to talk about, man, the awesome things that God wants to do in our life, it's important for us to also realize, man, when we're talking about God, we're not talking about optional things. When God says, I think this is a good idea, you've got to recognize where that's coming from. If, if God says this is what you should do, it is what you must do because He's God. This is required of us, and i like for us to look at Exodus chapter 34. If you have the Bible on your phone, you can turn there. If you have a Bible with you, that'd be great. Exodus 34, kind of the context of where we are in the book of Exodus. The, the Israelites had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt. You may be familiar with the story of Moses. If you're not, here in about a month after our next series that Mark's going to talk about here in a little bit, um, after that we're going to do a series talking about Moses. So they've been enslaved to, to Egypt and God raises up Moses to kind of come and deliver them and take them to this promised land. And along the way, God has kind of always kind of given them little reminders about who He is and who they're supposed to be. And here's one of those examples in Exodus chapter 34. They were part in this journey. And God says this to them in Exodus chapter 34, verse 10. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. So there's kind of a cool little promise there, man. I'm going to be your God. It's going to be great. I'm going to do great things for you. People are going to see that and be amazed by you and be amazed by me. And it's going to be really cool. But he continues on. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going, for they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord... This is kind of our key point for today. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, 
they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make any idols. And so he's being real clear with them. Like, listen, I'm, I'm going to get all these people out of this land. Because here's the thing, you've been in Egypt for a while, and we've got to reestablish some things. I mean, Genesis 12 makes it really clear that, that, that the mission that God has given the Jewish people is to be a light to the whole world. But in this season right now, he's like, I mean, we've got to get all these idol worshipers out, these people who worship all these false gods, because right now you need to be focused on worshiping me only. You can't, you can't follow their idols. And if, and if we have these people hanging around, I know what you're going to do. You're going to start moving away from me and start following those other, these other idols. And that's not good at all. And let me tell you why it's not good. And there's, like I said, in the beginning, he kind of talks a little bit about the things he's going to do for them. But at this point, the motivation is not them. It's like, you need to understand something. You start worshiping other gods, it's not going to be good. And the reason it's not going to be good is because I'm jealous. And he doesn't just say, I kind of get jealous every now and then. He says he's so jealous, bro, you can just call me jealous, right? Isn't somebody else saying anything? This is God. He says, I am the Lord whose name is Jealous. It is such a part of, of, of how he feels about them. He says, it's, it just can just be one of my names. I, I, am a, I am a jealous God. He does not want their worship to go anywhere else. And so the way that we want to describe this right here, it says, God is jealous for you. And that is such, let's just be honest. Can we be honest? I know it's church, um, but we can try. We'll just try to be honest for a minute. That's an off-putting word. I mean, it's off-putting. No one probably here would want to be described as jealous. And if we're trying to be like God, why would we want to... We don't want to become jealous. In fact, if we're going to be honest, like I've read the top ten list once, and it's on there to not be jealous, right? The Ten Commandments, it's one of them. Do not covet. This is a type of jealousy. And so for God to describe himself this way, and not just saying, using it as a metaphor, but so strongly, it's a little bit off-putting and a little bit weird. And it's important for us to make sure that we're clear about what it means when God says that he's jealous. Because there's a lot of different kinds of jealousy, right? So let's say that I don't have a car, and you have a car, and I wish I had a car, and it makes me really upset that you have a car and I don't, and I think, I want a car. I want that guy's car. It's not fair. He gets a car. I want a car. Or I have a, a terrible car, and you have an awesome car. I want your car. I want your house. I want your job. I wish I had your money. The things that you have that are yours, I wish those things were mine. And that is, in the, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, when he talks about don't, to not covet, that's what he's talking about. Do not, cray, do not go after things and wish you had things that belong to someone else. Now, what God's talking about here is a different kind of jealousy. So it's not that I wish that I had your car. It would be more of a situation where you have my wife. You have my car. Hey, you stole my car. That's my car. I want my car back. That's something. 
But it's not the same kind of jealousy. It's like you're taking something that is mine and now I, I, I want it, not because you have it, but because it's mine. And in the same way, again, it's so relational. Like think about like, like with, a, with a spouse, with your husband, with your wife. Like that's my wife. She doesn't get to be your wife. She's only my wife. And you're like, dude, now you're talking about jealous husbands. Jealous husbands are the worst. I'm not talking about a husband who won't let, some, won't let his wife or a wife who won't let her husband go hang out with friends. Yeah, I, I can be your only friend, so you don't get to have those friends. You don't get to go out and do things by, you have to be with me. I'm not talking about clingy weird, right? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're my wife, and, and, and you only get to be my wife. You don't get to be someone else's wife at the same time. You don't get to be someone else's husband at the same time. You are only mine. And this kind of relationship that we have, it was meant only for the two of us. That's why adultery is on the list. That kind of intimacy is meant just for a husband and a wife. And God is saying in a very similar way, this kind of devotion... This, I've given my life to it. I give my worship to it. This was meant exclusively for you and God. And when we turn and we give that worship, we give that devotion some other place, God is jealous. Not because He wishes He were somebody else. He doesn't need anyone else's car. He has, he has it all. But He doesn't like it when someone takes what is His. Especially when it is a person. And so this is not a selfish, clingy thing. This is a representative of how much God loves you and, and how much He wants you. He, he wants our worship. He wants our devotion. And because He's God, we are required to give it to Him. In part because He is very jealous for it. Because He asks us, and that's what we need. God is jealous for you. And it is important for us to give Him our worship. And so if this is true that God is jealous for you, it kind of leaves us with a question. Are you giving Him reason to be jealous? Are you giving Him a reason to? Now, it is very unlikely, this I hope it's unlikely, I'm going to talk to you for a little bit, I, I, I really believe that it is unlikely that, that anyone here has built an idol. Right? It is unlikely you've got some little wooden statue that you've put on and made a little made a little altar and you burn an incense to it in your home. It's real unlikely. I mean, if, if not, fill out a connection card. We'd love to talk to you. Um, <laughs> it's, it's unlikely. It's, it's unlikely anyone here has an Asherah pole. Anybody got an Asherah pole? It's not tetherball. It's, it's different. It's, um, yeah, Asherah poles, unlikely any idol worship going on around here in the strictest sense of that. But is there something in your life that you would say that you're actually significantly more devoted to than you are to God? Is there something that, given a choice, you would choose over God? Is, is there a something that is significantly more important to you than it is to God? And the go-to here at this point, and the easiest one, is power, prestige, money, those kinds of things, fame and fortune, the collection of stuff. Really, in that area, the idol isn't really the stuff. It's, it's, it's you. You're, you're the idol. 
I'm, wor- I'm worshiping me. I live a life where I would say that my primary devotion and allegiance is to me. I worship me. And secondarily, I worship the stuff. And my devotion in my heart, I mean, Jesus said this a lot, man. He said that, that um, man, we, tr- we, we try, but you just can't. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and worship idols. And you can't serve God and, and, and worship money. These are, these, are not, these, these are not things that we can do. You cannot be completely and totally 100% devoted to you and 100% devoted to God. And God says He's jealous. And when we pursue these things in full devotion and have God as kind of a, hey, I want you to help me in my pursuit of this idol that I have declared to be more important than you, then we're going to run into some issues. Because what God is asking for, God is asking for our full devotion. In fact, this is what Jesus said. I mean, when Jesus asked what the greatest commandment in all of Scripture was, He says, I mean, the first most important thing that you can do is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything that you are. That is what you must do. That is the most important characteristic of any person's life which is full and complete devotion to God. So is there something? Is there something in your life you could honestly say, man, I think I've, I've, I've given my devotion to God. I've been I've, to something else. I'm giving Him reason to be jealous. I've, I was thinking about this in my own life. And honestly, I think I'm, I'm, I'm coming to realize that I, I really do believe that my job has become more important to me than God. Which, which may ring weird to you, right? You know, I mean, you're like a pastor, right? I mean, you're like God's like your employer. I mean, it's kind of like your full-time job is doing God's stuff. I mean, how does, that, how does that even work? And let me tell you, if we were at a pastor's conference right now and I threw that line out to you, it's like, man, I feel like my job as a pastor has become more important than my devotion to God. It would be like one of those moments, you know. It's, pastors all get what that means, right? You don't, and that's fine. But I still feel like I need to, it's, I, I need to confess that. That my heart, do I love God more than I love you loving my sermons? Do I love God more than I want the church to have a lot of people and to do well? And for people to be in small groups and the kids ministry to go well? And for me to kind of be able to say in a prestigious way, like, hey, look at how great the church is. And if the church, if, if something is disappointing to me, does that matter more to me than my love and commitment to God? It's just kind of something I'm wrestling with. It's like I'm this very thing that he's called me to. It can, can often be kind of an instrument of jealousy, really. And, you know, and Mark referenced this story a few weeks ago because the same kind of thing is going on with Abraham. Abraham was God, the founder of the Jewish people, and God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. It's going to be through your son Isaac. But after a while, God calls, hey, I think I'm going to want you to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac was a great thing. God, it was an instrument of God's promise. And Abraham's like, man, you said you were going to make him a great nation. And it says in Hebrews, it said that, that Abraham was like, well, I guess God's just going to raise him from the dead. But God was asking him to sacrifice not a bad thing in his life, but one of the best things in his life as a reflection of devotion. And I think often for us, that happens. Again, we're not building idols. 
We're not worshiping other gods. We're just giving all of our devotion to something that might be good but isn't God. And what God is calling us to do is to place Him first, to give Him our full and total devotion. And so what I'm afraid that happens in these kinds of moments, and you have these things, you're kind of wrapping up a series, you're talking about full devotion. One of the things that I think that happens is we do, is we live life a little small. And God is small. And God is a counselor, he's an advisor, he's a buddy, he's kind of helping me out. And God is just small in our lives. And we have these moments like, man, God doesn't need to be small in your life. See, now I'm yelling. God doesn't need to be small in your life, he needs to be big in your life, right? And you think that's true. But then we, then, then we, then we exaggerate it. It's like, well, what are you saying I'm supposed to do? Sell everything I have and move to China? Go into the jungle and be missionary? And so then we just kind of exaggerate it that it means it's going to mean something really crazy and big and huge. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that. And so we just stick with small. I'm just going to stick with small because I'm not going to do this thing. And that's what we do. You do it all the time when you're, when, we'll talk about this our next series actually, talking about communication. You do this all the time when you're fighting, right? You exaggerate what your, what, your, what your spouse says to you so you can just kind of dismiss it, right? It's what we do. But really we're not talking about in order to show that you're all in, you have to do something outrageous tomorrow. It really is a heart thing. It's a heart thing where it's like, I'm going to declare before God that there's nothing in my life more important than Him. And then what it becomes is a series of smaller decisions that show it. I make a heart decision that say that, God, I'm going to put you first. And then whatever He says, I'm going to say yes. And so rather than having one of these stories, and I know the book that you've been reading, if you've been reading the All In book with us, has some of these kind of larger stories. I just want to share with you a relatively smaller story of of a couple who has just made a heart decision to say that they want to follow God fully and just a series of smaller steps to show that devotion. So I'd like to introduce you to Ross and Amy Larwood. When I came to the U of A for college in uh, 2010, I grew up in a family that didn't go to church a lot, and I had roommates that all grew up going to church. Um, So the first time I came to the Grove was kind of had been dragged to, and it was described as uh, coffee house meets church. I didn't really care for coffee houses or church at that time, so I don't know why I ended up going, but but I did, and really loved it. Um, I think I, I saw Jesus in a lot of the people that I was spending my time with, and from there, really realized I needed Jesus in my life and, uh, and ultimately surrendered that to him. And um, I just really, I, I really felt really embraced by a ton of people at the Grove, um, people that I would consider family now, and just really developed a lot of relationships that through the Grove that kept me coming uh, and, then, and then ultimately through wanting to be around church, um, giving my life to Christ. When I was first coming for a long time, I was on the receiving end of um, people making coffee for me, and you know, I didn't have kids, but if I did, people would be taking care of my kids for me. And when I first started to get really involved with the Grove, um, I was just looking for little things that I could do. I, I didn't have any talent behind a soundboard, or um, at that point, I wasn't really kid inclined. 
And so I just kind of started looking for stuff to do. And um, there was a group of people that kind of just did odd jobs around the church and replaced toilet paper and empty trash cans at the end of the day and things like that. And I thought, oh, I can do that. From there, I really just committed to serving in that way. Uh, I think for me, it started as, as just a way to kind of give back, I guess. Um, but then once I really started to take my, uh, my walk more seriously and learn more about the calls that Jesus has on my life, and uh, it just became apparent that, that that's something that I'm just called to do, and, and I enjoyed doing it, and I enjoyed serving with the people that I was serving with. Like I said earlier, those people have become like my family and some of my closest friends. And just being around the Grove, um, especially my first handful of years when we were in that small building, um, just it's a super exciting time then, and it still is now. Um, and it's I just wanted to be a part of it, and it's been a really fun ride. lots of things together. What are, what are some of our things? We, this is pretty embarrassing, but we like to go to TJ Maxx and look at the rain. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> all the different kitchen utensils? Yep. It's really yep. fun. Well, I've been serving in the greenhouse for five years, I think. It's been really fun. It's so fun. It's not always easy, but it's always really rewarding. Um, just getting to really just love on kids and play with them and have a good time while their parents go uh, worship and do all the things that they need to do. I feel like we get to do it together, and so it's like, I don't know, it just gives us this feeling of we're, we're on a team and we're like doing this, and it's our classroom. Uh, she was in the greenhouse before I was. Um, she's the only reason why, I'm in the, why I ever started going to the greenhouse, <laughs> uh, before we got married. Um, so, if you're a single dude out there, just kidding. I think the first time that I actually formally met Amy was at the Grove. I tried to date her for a while. Um, asked her on a couple dates. Uh, I would go on these disguise dates um, where I'd be like, hey, we're all going to go do this. And then by the time it was time to go do this, Nobody everybody else, else had dropped out. And so it Conveniently. Would, it would just be us. Actually, at the Grove, on a Sunday morning, Ross took me out in front of the lobby outside and was like, when you're ready, I want to take you on a date. Like, he knew. And I had always been really hesitant. And then for some reason in that moment, I was like, I have no hesitations. I just felt really at peace about that. And I just knew that, like, that was what was supposed to be. And so God was just preparing us for something that we didn't really know why the path went the way that it did. But then we do now, I yeah, guess. Ross and Amy, yeah, they're just kind of one of my favorite couples. And, and I don't know, I don't know how close you're paying attention to that, but you see it just kind of begins with a decision to say that I'm going to follow Christ. And then it's just like God was kind of calling me to kind of just do some stuff and serve, and I was doing trash. And Then I began to hear the, the call of God on my life, and I realized that he wanted more. And you see the same thing happening in Amy's life, and you hear them describing this path of kind of how unusual it was for them to start dating, but they see that God had, must have God had a plan in it, and he's brought them together. And Ross was on our staff for a while, really helped us get our, our finances and stuff organized really, really well. And then felt like God was calling him out to something else. And then, and then Amy becoming a nurse. And, 
way that God brought this family together. You just see in it just a series of steps of saying, first of all, I'm going to make a decision that God has my life. And then whatever he has next, I'm just going to take that step. And God may ultimately take them or you or any of us on a path where 15, 20 years from now, our life, we may be doing something, living some kind of life that we never thought was possible. But it's going to, we're going to get there a step at a time. And it's going to begin with a decision to say, I'm going to follow God no matter what. So we're going to have kind of an extended reflection time here today. And in that time, I want you to kind of be asking yourself two questions. The first one is this. What is holding you back right now from saying to God, I am all in with you? That's the first question. What's holding you back? If I say that you need to be completely and totally all in with God, what is holding you back from that? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it control? What is it? What is it that's keeping you from being able to say, I'll be in with God fully no matter what? And the second one is this. If you're able to get to the yes question, I'm willing to be all in with God. And the question is, what changes do you need to make in order to get there? What do I need to do? What, what changes do I need to make to get there? Two very simple yet incredibly profound questions. And it's going to take you some time to get there. As you just kind of consider what's really going on in my life. There's some reason that kind of keeps us on the fringe of God. And we know, and I don't have to list them out to you, the sin in your life, the, the, the idols in your life. <coughs> the steps that you need to take for growth and connection. You know what they are. God's probably been putting them on your heart all morning and all series for those of you who have been around. But you know that there are some changes you need to make. So let's just spend some time in prayer and reflection asking asking ourselves these questions. You can do that obviously right where you are as you worship. There's the prayer team in the back would love to connect with you if you need someone to pray with you. There's prayer candles. There's communion. There's the cross. But let's make a decision. God has called us to an incredible mission. Let's make a decision individually and collectively that we're going to be all in with Him to do and be exactly who He has called us to be. Let's pray.